Brethren, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill-treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, received promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put enemies, foreign enemies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and scourging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering over deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And in all these, though well attested by their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had foreseen something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Peace be with you, the reader, and with your spirit. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Moses and Aaron are among his said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. 
Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, you will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Peace be to you who read the good tidings. Glory to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, the first Sunday in Great Lent, we celebrate what is known as the Sunday of Orthodoxy. And it's really only by um, historical coincidence that we have this celebration on this day, because it was, it was on this day, the first Sunday in Great Lent, where the controversy was uh, finally, finally over. But this really is a, is a feast day of truth over falsehood. This is what we're celebrating on this day. And it was really during the 8th and early into the 9th century, and it was probably for a period of over just a little bit, 100 years, that the iconoclastic heresy sought to eradicate all the icons in the church from its, uh, their proper place within the worship. And it wasn't until around the year 840 or 841, 43, when Empress Theodora and Patriarch Methodius oversaw the end of this controversy and really restored the icons back to their proper use within the church. It's important to remember when we talk about icons that the love and the fidelity that we express when we venerate an icon, it passes on to the prototype. Just as when I travel, uh, I usually have pictures of my wife and my children, my family. And I'll confess, there are times when I kiss them on their picture. And it's not that I'm kissing a picture, but it's really the person who's being depicted there. That's the prototype. And so that love and fidelity transfers directly to them, not simply just the image that's there. Also, when I see a picture of my family, I don't simply see people, but I really think about a relationship that I have with them. I have memories, and I have encounters with them, and, and oftentimes those are brought up. But I think of the love that I have for them, and I also think about the love that they have for me. And it really nurtures that, that sense of, of um, relationship. And really the same can be said for when we kiss the image of an icon if we have taken the time to really cultivate a relationship with the image that's depicted there, whether it's a saint or whether it's of the mother of God or Christ himself. 
if I've taken the time really to come into the presence of another person, then I'm giving myself an opportunity to experience and have an encounter with them. When I venerate the icon of St. Nectarios every time before uh, we celebrate the services, when we come in here and prepare, I can think of many, many things about his life. So it's, it's, a, it's a more intimate veneration, if you will, because my mind goes to those things. And our church is beautifully adorned with many saints here on both sides. And some of you may know the story of a particular saint, like St. Saint Basil. And maybe you've read a lot about his life. And so when you venerate that icon, there's a connection there that's deeper than if you venerate an icon, let's say, of an image of a saint that you really know nothing about. And so it really behooves us to take the time to get to know the saints. So that when we venerate them, that our love and fidelity passes on to them as people created in the image of God. So this is true with family, with friends, our Lord and the saints. But if I haven't taken the time to do this, then what am I really to expect when it comes to that relationship with them? In today's Gospel reading, the Apostle Philip came into the presence of Christ and had an encounter with him. And when he did this, he was overcome with so much zeal that he immediately went out and began to recruit other people to come and meet this person. And of course, as we read in today's Gospel, that person was Philip. Bishop Nikolai Velomirovich really unfolds this very sort of beautiful um, sequence of events of what happens and really why it's happening. He says that uh, Philip finds Nathaniel and he says to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets have written. Philip does not say, we have found the promised Messiah, or we have found the son of David, or we have found the king of Israel, or the Lord Christ. He only points out to Nathanael that they had found the one written by Moses and the prophets. And he says there was such simplicity in this statement. He didn't need to offer any elaboration on that or explanation as to who this person was. He simply says, we have found him. He has not revealed himself, as he continues, as lightning that rends the crowds and causes the earth to shake, nor fallen on earth suddenly like a meteor, nor has he yet ascended the imperial throne of Jerusalem. He didn't come in any sort of grandeur at all. And he has, it's interesting, he has Philip continuing, and he's, he's really drawing out, as often happens in the Orthodox uh, commentary and hym- hymnography of the church, sort of a dialogue, if you will. And he says, Philip is saying to Nathaniel, he grew up and has lived here in Galilee all of his life, among us for 30 years already, and we did not know him. He grew up as a cultivated vine in the midst of wild stock. And he was hard to recognize until he had grown and begun to bring forth fruit. He was like treasure buried in an earth. The earth was dug over and the treasure was hidden until the time came that it began to show forth. And he did not put himself forward or impose himself in any way at any time during those 30 years of his life. He was unknown. He was unknown to us. 
And Christ, he says, never imposes himself on us. And this is perhaps why he never came in such, uh, such grandeur. He didn't just ascend the throne and, and immediately demand people to follow him. But he came humbly. And he says in another place in scripture that if anyone wishes to follow me, this is your choice. You just need to pick up your cross and follow me. But what's interesting about this is that Philip says, we didn't know him. We, didn't, we, we saw him, we, we interacted with him, but we didn't know who he was. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in the presence of God in the flesh for 30 years of your life and have no idea whatsoever that it was God? I would, I, would, I would think, oh my word, what have I said? What have I done? I would immediately go through this very meticulous self-examination of all these things, the way I live my life in the presence of God not knowing it. That could be very embarrassing. And think about it for a moment, people, because we believe in a God that is present in all places, at all times, and He is aware and sees all things. So the reality is, what? It's been happening to us. Every single day of our life. It's true. What has happened to Philip, what he's saying, has been happening with us. We just haven't had him physically as a person in our midst as he did. But the presence of God is everywhere. So he was, he was uh, flabbergasted that he did not recognize this man who was in his presence, the son of Joseph, a carpenter by trade, who walked among them, who ate with them, who attended uh, the synagogue, all of these things. He did not know that this was Jesus. But Philip says to Nathanael, come and see. Nathanael, just come and see him. He says, I cannot prove it to you, but his presence will give you every proof. I cannot give you an answer either to this or other questions that you may have, but his very presence is the only answer that you'll need. And you won't be able to withstand it. When you come into his presence, you will know. To have an encounter, we must come into the presence of another person and be fully present at that moment. We can come into the presence of another person and not be fully present and not have an encounter with that individual other than something that's very superfluous. And this may be often how we do interact with people. I don't know. I would say it's probably more common than not. But we must simultaneously be aware of ourself in the presence of another person as well as what is going on with that person, in that person at that moment. That is what it means to be fully present to self and to other. And Nathaniel shows this really amazing capacity to do this. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming and he said of him, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. So this is Philip now bringing in Nathaniel. Some of the other apostles are already there, and they hear Jesus saying this. Here comes an Israelite in whom there is no guile. What does this mean, to have no guile? It means a man who is filled with the opposite of guile. And that would be God. 
thoughts of God, yearning for God, seeking of God, waiting on God, hoping in God. His whole existence is to be in relationship and communion with God. That is a man with no guile. And as Nathaniel was approaching, Jesus makes this statement, and it's because the Lord was able to see into the heart of Nathaniel. This information wasn't given to him uh, by the other apostles, saying, hey, we have another candidate we think would be really good, one of the twelve. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Jesus didn't get any preview of Nathaniel whatsoever. But he saw into the heart of this man. And then Nathaniel says to him, How do you know me? How do you know me to say that? That there's no guile in me. How do you know that? And we see how Nathaniel shows himself at once to be a man without guile. Because a guileful man is occupied with himself and is unaware of others. And we see that in the response. Were Nathaniel to have been a man of guile, he would have been drunk by the praise that he just received from Christ. But Nathaniel was more concerned with Christ than with himself. And so neither accepting, Bishop Nikolai says, nor rejecting the praise, Nathaniel poses an open question. How do you know me? We are meeting for the first time in our lives. He says, if you were to call me by name, behold, here comes Nathaniel, that would have been easier and more acceptable. Because someone could have told you my name. Oh, that's Nathaniel with Philip. To be called by name. He says, I would have been less surprised. But what was amazing and what amazed him, he says, is that how quickly you came to know the name of my heart. Not my given name, but by seeing me and saying that, you came to know me by the name of my heart. Something that is so hidden in our hearts, something that we do not reveal to many people in life except those who are closest to us, who we trust so deeply and are able to be vulnerable with, that we share that part of ourselves. And this is a part of self that many people in platonic relationships never see, let alone those in the intimate relationships. But our Lord saw that and called it by name. And he identified that as Nathaniel. This is extremely profound because when you think about relationships, there are certainly layers to them. And, and, and the deepest layer that we can ever experience in a relationship is to be fully known by another. And the problem with that is that there's a part of us that doesn't want to be fully known by another because we're fearful of being fully rejected by that person. So we conceal in fear of revealing because of the consequences that it could have. But with our Lord, He sees to the depth of our personhood. And when He calls us, He calls us not by our name that's on our birth certificate, but He will call us by the name of our heart. And this is very important because when we think about not only our relationship with God, but with one another, 
the only way to have a relationship of depth is to, to be fully present in the presence of another and to be willing to be vulnerable to a point. Obviously, we know because relationships take time. But this is how we will come to experience Christ in one another. Oftentimes, though, we are protected, self-protected by fear. And fear often comes through either an actual experience or through a perceived threat that hasn't happened. But in Christ, love casts out fear. So as we sit here, as we are all images, icons of Christ... We want to allow ourselves to really fully be known by God, which means we have to be fully vulnerable before Him, even though He knows us in our depth. We have to get past that fear with His grace in order to stand before Him, as we've seen many times in Scripture, and most recently in the parable of the publican and the Pharisee, but to be able to look up at the heaven and say, Lord, I'm nothing. I am literally nothing. I am literally dirt of the earth that you formed and fashioned and breathed life into me and given me this life in order to have a relationship with me. That's what I am. I'm nothing. But through His mercy and His grace and His love, we have this opportunity to be in a very deep, meaningful, salvific relationship with our Lord and to be in a loving relationship with those people around us through Christ. Amen.